Welcome to Women Volunteers, a GFWC NC podcast where we talk with women across North Carolina who volunteer their time in support of community improvement. We'll find out how they got started, how they manage these projects, and the impact of their volunteer actions. Welcome. I have a guest here with me today that I'm excited to introduce everyone to. As she is a fellow club woman, and I noticed something pretty cool she was doing last year and have been intrigued by it ever since. I have Sharia Burnett with me, and I'm going to introduce Sharia and let her tell you about the project that she did. Uh, I will lead a little bit with the one thing I thought was pretty amazing is how um, in my instance of trying to find the right word, what an inclusive and important thing she was doing to help people at a really critical time when we were, you know, starting into the throes early days of, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Sharia Burnett was born and raised in Alamance County, North Carolina, and she identifies as Afro-Indigenous and is a proud citizen of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where she majored in political science and Afro-American studies, and she minored in social and economic justice. She also received her Juris Doctorate from Elon University School of Law, and she joined the Burlington Junior Women's Club in 2015, former club of mine. Since becoming a club woman, she has served in various capacities at the local, district, and state levels, and is currently the Sally Southall Cotton Scholarship Chair for GFWCNC. She is a social worker at heart. She spends her days directing efforts intended to assist people who are experiencing homelessness, and her evenings as an adjunct professor at a local college. She primarily, en- excuse me, she primarily engages in projects and activities focused on women of color, children of color, and those identifying as part of the LGBTQ community. She serves in various capacities for local nonprofit and community-oriented organizations, and she is interested and actively involved in community service and advocacy throughout the state of North Carolina. In addition to writing, she is passionate about literacy program for children, promoting the work done by Black and Indigenous women, and raising awareness about the issues impacting marginalized communities. You can find additional information about Sharia's community work on thiswomanswords.co. Welcome. Hi, Kelly. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I am thrilled you're here today. (laughs) As I mentioned in introducing you um, sometime last year, I don't know if it was on Facebook or Instagram or something else. I saw you reading books Mm -hmm. and others with you reading books. And I want uh, you to share with us a little bit about what this project that you took on was. So um, I started a virtual reading series and I started it completely by accident. Uh, So at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a club woman, Adrienne Barr. She's in the Burlington Junior Women's Club. Adrienne wrote a book called Dancing with Butterflies. And um, 
because the book came out in the midst of a pandemic, it was very difficult for her to get traction for the book, for her to really have any type of social anything involving the book. Even her uh, launch had to be virtual. And so we were talking about a virtual reading event that she was doing, and it was just kind of all discombobulated and all over the place. And I was talking her through what to do to prepare and, and how I felt like, you know, I could encourage her. And in the course of that conversation, I just said kind of flippantly, I mean, I think I could do that. And Kelly, you know me. And so you know that <laughs> sometimes flippantly gets me in a world of trouble. Um, and so uh, around about January, I really started thinking about it. I posted something on Facebook that was like, would anybody be willing to do a virtual reading series? I know a few authors. And I started getting all these comments, all these Facebook messages. People started emailing me. I started getting text messages. And so essentially, middle, end of January, I called a planning meeting. I had about uh, seven or eight agencies that I knew executive directors personally or that I was uh, somehow connected to and they all wanted to co-sponsor and so I said well I guess we're going to have a virtual reading series and our first thought was we'll just do it for the month of February for Black History Month we'll focus on having authors of color that wrote about children of color or that characters are children of color in their illustrations Um, and so we signed up for authors and then the next thing I know I had authors for March and a few weeks later, I had authors through June and I said, OK, well, well, we'll stop in June. And then I got four more authors and I said, OK, well, maybe we'll stop mid-July. And then I got three more authors and I said, well, I guess we're going to have to go th- to July 31st. Um So what we did was every Saturday, I would get on Zoom with an author of color or with a community member of color, and they would read a book of their choice, either a book that they wrote or a book that touched them somehow. Um, And so we had Calvetta Watlington, who is my fellow citizen in the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We had Rebecca Madrano, who read for our audience twice in Spanish. We had a variety of authors, even four um, authors that are youth um, that have written books and wanted to read their books. Um, We had people from all over the nation read uh, from New York to out West to Florida. Um, And in the course of doing the reading series, I learned about so many books that were out there that I knew nothing about, about these authors that were out there that I knew nothing about, that they were doing things with apps to help kids with learning vocabulary. Um, And so my thought process was, you know, this could be so much more than what it is. And so one of the first things I did was, um, as part of the Burlington Junior Women's Club, I had been the education and libraries chair, and we had gotten funding from um, a local nonprofit to establish more little free libraries in the county. So we raised money for some of them, and then we got um, the grant funding for others. But we also got grant funding specifically to put books in the little free libraries that were from authors of color. So we had bought all these books on Amazon, but because of the size of these structures, they barely filled them up. So I can imagine. <laughs> right. So one of the first things I did was say, well, hey, so now I know all these authors. So I start giving them the email address for the Burlington Junior Women's Club. And I'm like, if you want to send books, because they were sending me free books. So I was like, if you want to send books and you want to send several books, send them here and we can put them in these three little free libraries. So they start sending books for that. So then I kept thinking, um, I feel like there's more that could come from this. What else could I do? So I got an email from an older lady and her exact words were, I'm an old white woman, but I have biracial (laughs) grandchildren. And I really think it's important for them to see characters that look like them. Can you send me a list of all the books that have been read thus far? My oldest grandchild is having some trouble with reading. I think this will really pique his interest. I just 
need the names and the authors of the books. So I sent her the list. And at that point, we'd only had maybe eight authors. Um, But it inspired me to say, hey, I could do a summer reading list. And this would be different from the school system's typical summer reading list. Um, And these would be authors that you've seen on camera and you've seen me interact with them and ask them questions. And so they are real people now, right? So there came the the virtual summer re- the virtual reading series summer reading list um and then the next thing was so i had people saying you know these authors are great some of them we can find on amazon but some of them you know only have personal sites or they're only in certain bookstores in their state how can we get their books at which point i said hmm next thought would be how could i have a virtual how could I have a a virtual version of the Scholastic Book Fair? So the Scholastic Book Fair was my thing in school. Okay. Okay. I loved it. So in my head, I was like, I don't know how I could do this and not have it in person. And then I thought to myself, well, I could do it on Zoom and I could just have an order and call out each author and they sit at their table or their display and talk about their different books and how you can buy their books. Mm -hmm. So, um, And what would necessarily come out of that is some type of Google document that would have links to the places where you could buy their books, be that bookstores or what have you. Um, And so I I was playing around with the idea, thought that maybe I could do it, but wasn't all the way sure how it would work. Um, But I still felt like I wanted these books physically in children's hands and I wanted them to have access to them. And so I actually went on a trip unexpectedly to DC and I walked in the Sankofa bookstore and there on the shelves said about four of the books, either by the authors that had been on the virtual reading series or books that were read on the virtual reading series. So I took that as my sign that I was supposed (laughs) to to do the book fair. Um, And so I reached out to all the authors that had been on the virtual reading series and pretty much all of them signed up and sent the invitation to other authors that they knew. Um, And when we talk about diversity and visibility and equity, you know, we're looking at, we have books that are about people with disabilities. We have books about people who are Spanish speaking, people who are from indigenous communities, um, black, brown, all, all kinds of, of people. But more importantly, none of the characters look the same. And I felt like for me, that was the the most important part was if if the if the students and the children watching could not see themselves in the author, perhaps they would see themselves in one of the characters. And we even had um, one person read to us and some of her characters were non-binary. And I felt Mm -hmm. like that was amazing. And I didn't even know that until we were in the process of the interview. Um, And so for me, I just wanted to make sure that I could pique people's interest into reading in a different way. I feel like it's one thing to be in school and be told to read something. I think it's something else to see a character that looks like you and want to learn more about that character and therefore read that book. Um, I can see that. Yeah. And I I know you talked um, about how you kind of got started by doing this, you know, February uh, Black History Focus Mm -hmm. on Literacy. Um, How did you publicize it? Because you talk about how um, authors reached out to you. Mm-hmm. How were those relationships uh, built or did you share things on social media? How did you get the word out so that you attracted people without having to hunt down, Can you've got a copyright, can I do this in this mm-hmm. way, that kind of thing? So essentially what we did was um, we advertised, I advertised on Facebook. Um, whenever I had a vacancy or needed a reader, I would put that out there. Um, we did flyers on Facebook through Canva. So um, Facebook, Instagram. Oh, so you made Instagram. like little paid posts, social mm-hmm. posts, which yeah. are super easy on Facebook mm-hmm. to go in and make happen. That's awesome. Um, and 
so, and actually I didn't even use the paid post feature. I just made the flyer and made it public and people shared it. And you shared it. And right. They shared, it was and amplified, right? Exactly. And then you had, so once one or two, three authors read, well, most of them are either owners of their own publishing company or they're connected to a publishing company. So then they would send the flyer out to promote the fact that they were going to be on the show. So once they were on the show, then their colleagues would contact me about being on the show. Awesome. And that's kind of how it, it spiraled. And I think a lot of authors have joined certain Facebook groups to kind of get feedback about illustrators and all types of other things. And so when these opportunities would come up, people would post those in those Facebook groups that I'm not even a part of. And I would start getting emails from people who just wanted went to viral. go on the show. Essentially, yes. <laughs> And I think for so many of them, they were looking for a way to get the word out about their books. And then the great part was with some of our community readers, um, a lot of times like uh, my cousin read and he read a book that was written by his college classmate. And his college classmate is in California, but he saw the flyer and saw that my cousin had ordered his book and was reading his book. And so he called into the virtual reading series just to say thank you for putting it out there. Um, And so we had authors use the videos and send them out with their press kits. Um, So one author, Adrienne Free, she actually had her book read. um, She couldn't go to this summer camp, but she wrote a book about her own disability that she's experienced since birth. And it's called Differently Daphne. And she couldn't necessarily physically go to these summer camps or be in these places, but she was able to take the Zoom link and the Facebook link and send it to those places. So then I started getting pictures of kids gathered around a TV at a summer camp and they're watching her on the virtual reading series and that's how the book was read to them. Well, that's, I mean, you got to see firsthand the impact of Mm -hmm. a project that you decided to take on. And this is, you know, a very personal and passionate project of you, yours. So what one thing I want to ask you about is um, how you think uh, others might be able to take this and um, turn it into something that's good for themselves. And I'll use an example. Um, the club I belong to, the Greater Alamance Women's Club, uh, one of the things that we've recently done is purchase a bunch of the books that you read, and we're leaving them around the county to be what we call found books, right? So a kid can find this book and pick it up, and it has a label in it. it says, I'm not lost, I'm yours, right? Mm-hmm. It, because we really believe strongly in um, what you did, specifically focusing on a population that's underrepresented in children's books for certain. That's and- right many books and lots of things in general, but we wanted to make sure that there was that opportunity to continue what you started because it was so important. So what are some things you think that other uh, individuals or clubs could take on or any recommendations you might have for how they approached it? So first I have to say that that's great. The found books, I love it. You're you're making my day here, Kelly. Um, so so shout out to Greater Elements um, because I, I, appreciate y'all, I appreciate y'all immensely for... Um, taking that initiative and and really bringing it home to Alamance County where literacy is such a struggle. Um, I would say that other ideas that I I would think would be relatively easy would be um, volunteering at schools once um, they start allowing volunteers in to read these books to kids in person. Um, I would say something else could be donating books to the libraries and to the schools because I find that a lot of our libraries order books based on the demographic of who's who's using the library. And a lot of people in my target audience may not have transportation or they may not have an, a, a library accessible to them, hence the little free libraries all over Alamance County because we don't have a lot of libraries 
but we have a lot of county. Um, I would say establishing a little free library. There are some that you can build yourself. There are others that you can order from their website and you get the little plaque that goes along with it. Um, I've seen people turn little free libraries into food pantries and little free libraries in Mm -hmm. certain communities. So if they're in a food desert, um, chances are they're also not near a library, so books and food. Um, I've seen people do backpacks full of books and, you know, just donating them in different communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I think that it's really wide open. And despite COVID, I think that there are safe ways to do this. Um, And I think that for a lot of us, what we have to think about as club women is how we benefit the people who did not have the lives that we have led. Um, So my mother was a teacher my entire life. Um, I went to kindergarten knowing how to read. That that was never an issue for me. Um, But when I looked at it in hindsight, as a social worker, I was working for Child Protective Services and the number of parents that I came across who could not sign my paperwork because they could not read. Um, And so then thinking to myself, well, how is your child going to learn that puts a lot of pressure on the school system to provide this education and I think sometimes the school system assumes that you are going to have somebody at home to help you and what if you do not and what does that look like and so especially as tutoring programs shut down as a lot of after school and and daycare programs shut down my concern was really like where does this support come from from for these kids and I even told some parents that You can use the virtual reading series as their bedtime story if you want to. Hand them a tablet, put them in bed, and let somebody read to them. If you can't read to them, you can't afford the books, this gives you the option. And so I just encourage club women to think of it that way. What project could you do to make this child's life better in a way that doesn't, you know, compromise their family dynamic, that doesn't put them in a situation where they have to find transportation or money or something else. How can you alleviate all these barriers and just make it possible for this child to read? You raise some good points. I think it's probably hard for many of us to envision that Mm -hmm. a child would have parents who uh, don't know how to read today. That's right. Um, There are also things I think to consider. And I, I, this is a story my parents used to tell me a long time ago, or my dad did that, it's a good thing he married my mom because he wouldn't have known he had to educate kids before they went to school, right? Right. And he describes his life is a uh, he was a free range child. Mm-hmm. Um, his parents clearly didn't do some of the things that you know my mother did, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the impact that he sees in that difference. And there are people that um, also um, may have parents that don't know that they can do those things mm-hmm. to help, or they have parents that are working so many shifts or odd That's shifts right. that they don't have the time to do it. So recognize, often we see things just through our own lens. Mm-hmm. So hearing you talk about another lens that we might be able to mm-hmm. see something through can be very, very helpful. And I also say that's why I had a literacy resource highlight in every one of the episodes. And sometimes it was the same one. Um, and sometimes they were ones offered in different languages. And the reason is because Alamance County has a variety of services, but the services are not always, they're not always framed and promoted in a way where they would speak to the people who need them most. And so the conversations I have with some some of the agencies are, so you're an agency that wants to talk about literacy, but you're promoting literacy on flyers with words that some people can't read. How does that work? And how do you expect a parent or a grandparent who may be raising a child to know to reach out to you if all you're using is QR codes and social media pages? So a lot of grandparents 
not on social media. Right, right. And a lot of the ones raising children are not completely acclimated to technology, even as it pertains to the school system. So you're adding yet another app that they need to learn how to download, learn how to work through, learn how to use. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for a lot of people, if you tell them something verbally um, and Facebook tends to be a little bit more user friendly than some other platforms, then if I put it out there verbally and I have, you know, people working with me on the virtual reading series, putting it in the comments so you can just click on the hyperlink, then that gets you to this resource. And by verbally, you're talking like a video or something you've done. So during the Zoom. Facebook Live, during Mm -hmm. the Zoom, so that it's a conversation. During the Zoom, it on Facebook Live. And so when I was reading it, I would spell it out. Um, and then Adrian Barr actually would type it into the comments and therefore make it a hyperlink that people could click on. If there were Facebook pages that were particularly useful, I would share them on my Facebook page because my thought process was if you found my way to, your way to my Facebook page, it is easier for me to have you scroll up to get what I'm giving you than to try to send you through three other pages to right, get there. Right, right, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I also, I felt like the the joy of it was the interview and the reading, but I wanted kids to still understand that even if their parents may not understand what I was talking about with the website, most of the kids I know know how to get on a website. And so I was like, all right, so I'm going to give you this website and I'm charging you with responsibility to share this information um, with your parents or your guardians or your caretakers. Um, I also know from some of the teachers that watched that they found it very useful because these were agencies and resources they didn't know about. A lot of times when you're in the school system, you just know about what the school system is offering and you don't really have to look past that. Um, But for the virtual reading series, I didn't use anything provided by Alamance Burlington School System. I wanted people to know like we have all these other options. There's all these other websites. And a lot of them, you know, shout out to Alamance Achieves are centered on literacy in Alamance County, but people are not promoting them because it's not part of the school system. So if your child is enrolled in public school, you don't have the slightest idea about Alamance Achieves more than likely. And so I wanted to make sure that that information was out there. That's awesome. Mm. So what did you find? Did you hear from any kids? I did. Um, So throughout the series, of course, we had some kids on that read books that they assisted in in writing. Um, But then we also had. uh, So the very, very first episode, I think, is when we had the most children on Zoom. And then as it went on, we would have sporadic children come into the Zoom or they would watch it on Facebook Live from somebody's tablet. Um, A lot of times they would either be people related to the author or people related to me. Um, And so I saw some of my younger cousins um, on there. One of them just started kindergarten and I, I, I always joke with um, the members of my family that I have never seen her sit still. I saw her sit still for the entire video wow. because she was so enthralled with watching this person read. And it just so happened that their story was about a little black girl with big natural hair. And she is a little black girl with big natural hair. And I felt like this is exactly why someone was I speaking to her. Friend. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Were there things that um, surprised you? Uh, you know, based on from when you started out into what it's evolved into? Yes. Um, So I will say that I was surprised by the number of views. I think the first video is still being watched. It's at over 400 or 500 views. Mm -hmm. Um, I expected people like in my circle, like in my network to watch it or maybe in the network of the authors. I didn't expect it to like go past that. And then the next thing I know, um, 
I was encouraged to reach out to WFNY and Times News. And within less than a week, I was on the news and I was in the newspaper. And I knew that I had done these interviews, but I kind of forgot that I did the interviews until I started getting text messages and phone calls saying, you're on the news right now, like turn on the news. <laughs> um, or like somebody sending me pictures of the picture of Times News and my face was right, on right. it. And I was just kind of like, I, I think that for me, I realized that there was a need, but there was a part of me that felt like if other people knew that there was a need, like if this was such a big issue, somebody else would have done this. And it wasn't until the news coverage and you read about it in somebody else's words that you realize that other people knew that this was a problem. They just did not have a way to solve it. There are a lot of idea people. Yes. Implementers are a little bit harder to find. That's right. Right. And I'm a little mix of both, which is probably why I'm a club woman. (laughs) (laughs) How did you... um... One thing that kind of sticks in my mind is how did you do all of this? I mean, how did you organize it and make it happen? You you work uh, more than one job. I do. Uh, you uh, volunteer in your community. And this is, you know, um, certainly volunteering in your community, but it's at a different level of what, mm-hmm. what you did. But how did you how did you schedule and make it happen? Did you, you know, do a total dump and do it all at once? Did you spread it out? How did you manage all of this? I spread it out in increments of two weeks. And so essentially what I would do was I would get all the readers scheduled for a month and then I would give them the deadlines that they needed to have the information to me. So like, I need your bio. I need a picture of you and the book and I need to know what book you're going to read. You project manage this. Yes. And then a few days after they got that to me, I would design the flyer in Canva, send it to them for their approval. And so that way, when we ended the series on Saturday for reader number one, we then promoted Promoted reader number two and the flyer went up. And so I just staggered it like that. Awesome. So is there one place that someone can go um, find these recordings that you did for uh, the readings? Is it a Facebook group or can you get to it from a website that you have or? So there's actually two ways. So the first way is through my Facebook. And so my Facebook is um, my name is Sharia Denise, S-H-E-R-E-A. D-E-N-I-S-E. Um, and there's a whole folder of the videos, the saved videos, and it's called Virtual Reading Series. The other way, which will take you to both the reading series and the link to the um, the summer reading list, is thiswomanswords.co forward slash virtual dash reading dash series. And if you go to that link, it's all the videos in order and then the, the Google Docs link to the summer reading series. Awesome. And the videos from the... Um, from the book fair and from the literacy panel will be uploaded there as well. Well, this has been wonderful uh, spending some time talking with you about this. Um, It's an absolutely inspiring project that you've taken on that you thought was going to be something for 30 days and it's still having an impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you. And thank you for sitting down with me today and having a conversation about what you did. No problem, Kelly. Anytime. Women Volunteers is a podcast by Kelly Paul for GFWCNC. If you're interested in learning more about the General Federation of Women's Clubs of North Carolina and how you can join these amazing women in improving our communities, please visit us on the web at gfwcnc.org.